1: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan
0: Connolly and Mark Fine. Good, everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 20 preview. Just a month now until we kick off another what should be very exciting final series. This one a little bit different because, well, it's very hard to know what's going on from week to week uh, in terms not only of the ladder, the composition of the eight, but even Uh, who the games will be between and where they'll be played. And uh, thus is the case again this week. We have certainty in who's playing who at least, but still, as we record this, a couple of venues uh, to be fixed for a couple of games. So uh, we'll alert you to those as we talk about them in our previews. Plenty to talk about, plenty of news going on. We've got a couple of fantastic, and I mean really fantastic, Fantastic footy flashbacks this week. And this podcast, always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. You can check updated Palmerbet odds on the app or at palmerbet.com. As I say, a very good morning to my co host, Mark Fine. How are you going, Finey?
1: Oh, well, you're right. There is plenty up in the air, Rowan, which I guess makes us a pleasant sort of, um, not distraction, but constant, I would say. At least people know that we've got our preview show that comes up every Wednesday afternoon, review on a Sunday night, and, of course, uh, footy's footy, uh, footyology's final siren after the big game on Friday. Not sure whether this week's game is all that big, but anywho, looking forward to bringing the preview and as I say, constants in football, they're well appreciated, I think.
0: Well, if the game itself is no good, you can be assured at least that footyology final siren will be good. Of course, live streaming on Twitter and Facebook after the game about ten forty-five Friday night. And one thing you can always be assured will be good is a big juicy hamburger, finey from the greatest takeaway food establishment in the
1: universe. You're speaking of Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, and the easing of the lockdown. I wouldn't say that we're totally out of the woods here in Melbourne and Victoria means that everybody can enjoy a wonderful Andrew's hamburger. Juicy. That describes those beautiful succulent meat patties and you know, the rest people, it's a burger that's won awards and, for very good reason. Why? Because consistency, greatness, that's what makes a legend. I found out on Twitter that not everybody agrees with that, but still, I know what makes a legend, and it is consistently being at the top of the tree. Now, top of the tree, well, they don't build tree houses. They build great houses, though. I'm talking about West Point Properties, located in the inner-southeastern Melbourne suburbs for your build, maximising maybe a small footprint in the suburbs close to the city, but highly valuable is Nick Spartels and the team. So West Point Properties, they build and renovate with the eye for detail of very few others in the industry. Well, I've got some legendary stats for you too, Finey, because
0: Stats Insider, another proud sponsor of this podcast. They are a sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. Stats Insider simulates an event 10,000 times to best understand both the range of possible outcomes and the probability of each result. Along with their famed pre-match and in-game projections, Stats Insider is also known for their full season projections, which is currently virtually unable to split the race for this year's minor premiership. Geelong slotted in as a 41.1% favourite Followed by the Western Bulldogs at 40.4%. Stats Insider is also home to some of Australia's best independent sports writing and analysis. Everything is free to use on site. So check them out at statsinsider.com.au and give them a follow on Twitter at Stats Insider. I'm not sure if they're on Facebook, but best avoid that platform anyway because it is a sea of absolute nutbaggery. And that's speaking from personal experience. All right, we're going to heap to get through. Uh, let's waste no more time.
1: On Footyology News Feed.
0: Well, we'd like to kick off the news segment with the, uh, the more, uh, what should I call it, uh, direct footy news. The footy news that really does impact on the games that we talk about every week. And uh, one obvious story does that indeed. And it is the suspension and then overturning of a one-game suspension to champion Sydney forward Lance Buddy Franklin. Of course, he got a week from the MRO for a very indiscriminate elbow on Fremantle defender Luke Ryan. Much conjecture about whether he should have got that, whether that in fact was a little lenient. A few precedents earlier this season, which have all been uh, treated with fines rather than a suspension. He did get a week. Would the Swans cop it? Well, they didn't. They uh, quite rightly in their case went to the tribunal to challenge it and it was overturned, but he got off. So he is free to play in a pretty big game on Saturday evening against Essendon, not good news to the Bombers, finey, uh, for whom Franklin has been an absolute nemesis, but a very interesting case, this, and one which has sparked uh, more than the usual amount of debate over the AFL's judicial system. Uh, what did you think of the one
1: week and what did you think of it being overturned? Thought it deserved one week. Not surprised it was overturned. The reason I'm not surprised it was overturned is that we have a, a fairly lenient tribunal that he is the appeals on the back of a fairly lenient max review officer that hands out the penalties. There seems to be little in their thinking towards maybe handing down penalties as a deterrent. I think they believe that all footballers go out there with the intention of playing the game fairly and anything untoward that happens now is basically an accident. Of course, we have the occasional fit of fury and that does get handled quite ferociously. But any other incident that could come under the sort of umbrella of dangerous but clumsy, I think the tribunal almost says, you know what, players do not want to hurt other players. We don't need a deterrent. And therefore, we can go fairly easily on players. And I guess there are sceptics amongst football fans who suggest that champion players, the type of players that attract viewers to the game and, when possible, fans to the ground, are treated even more leniently. So I'm not surprised that Buddy Franklin plays in the big game against Essendon. i just say this, that, you know, the next time that, a player grabs the ball and he's tackled and he swings his arm around and, well, you know, if you're there and I contact you, bad luck. If somebody gets seriously injured, a, a broken jaw or a serious case of concussion, then the AFL can only blame themselves for not making it very clear that you have a duty of care when you take the field that extends beyond intent, well, there were precedents uh, cited in
0: this one and uh, they were David Asbury uh, against Carlton for Richmond in the first game of the season, uh, Joe Danaher involved in one for Brisbane and Luke Shuey West Coast. All of those incidents were treated with fines. They were all, of course, graded initially low impact. This one was medium impact, which I thought was right because I thought There was probably, apart from the fact that the elbow was definitely the point of contact, there was more menace about this Franklin one. Uh, There was an argument used that uh, he was off balance when it happened. Um, I felt like he'd already taken a step or two to regain his balance when he did it. And a big one, he shifted the ball from hand to hand to allow the arm, which swung around and made contact with Ryan, to have... Uh, greater swinging power. So the intent, I thought, was pretty obvious. Um, I wonder if the Tribunal subconsciously was uh, really worried about those precedents. And uh, I guess, you know, some precedents, they're not that sort of similar. But these sort of swinging arm things where a guy's being tackled, they do tend to sort of look pretty similar. So I thought there was a distinct difference in this one. I also think, and this is an ongoing argument, we've talked about it before, but this is another good example of the balance of power swinging way too far in favour of consequences and away from intent. And I know it's a complex issue and cases have to be treated on their merits and each case treated individually. But I think we've got a fundamental justice problem when uh, a thing that can be considered a pure football act, i.e. We're say bump because we know the danger's there, but particularly a tackle, uh, when those and some of them we have seen end up with two, three-game penalties, when a guy can get three times as much for something that isn't in an obvious act of play as opposed to a bloke getting a third the penalty for what is clearly an unnecessary cheap shot, I think that's a major problem and I think it's one that needs to be
1: addressed sooner or later. And we rest our case, Your Honour. I have nothing to add to what really encapsulates the problem with the tribunal and the MRO at the moment. Well said, right? Well, we do talk about it a lot and we tend
0: to keep going over the same ground. But I think someone needs to sort of step back from each case and, and the classifications and whatever and just have a look at that fundamental principle because the weighting of uh, intent versus consequence definitely out of whack. Anyway, the bottom line, Franklin free to play and uh, continue that march towards the 1,000 goal milestone and probably tear in a new one in the process because he has racked up some uh, pretty major damage against the Bombers, both as a Hawthorne player and as a Sydney player. Uh, I'll tell you one side, Viney, which won't be inflicting too much damage from here on in, and uh, it's your second team, Fremantle, uh, because I think the gig is up for the Dockers. Uh, Bad loss to the Swans, no less, last week. Uh, They've got a really tough run home. They have got Richmond, Brisbane, West Coast and your Saints. And uh, they're now doing it without... Nat Fife, who is officially done and dusted for the season, he's already had surgery on the shoulder, which popped out in that game last weekend. And Michael Walters, a bad hamstring injury, at least four weeks on the sidelines, wouldn't be back unless the Dockers made it to finals. So you look at the latter and they are very much still a player in finals. But given that... uh, Well, a few of us think they have way too much dependence on their leading couple of players. That surely has to be the end of the road for their
1: tilt at finals in 2021. Add Rory Lodd, who is out with syndesmosis, very important and certainly a key player in their resurgent mid-season or at least better form mid-season with a couple of wins away from Perth. And yeah, it's going to be a bridge too far for Fremantle. You certainly need all guns firing with that run, huh? There is well, another player who whose season is over, a forgotten footballer, but his injury means that um, his career is over. And I think, um, I don't know whether we've, well, we haven't had the official retirement yet, but Stephen Hill will no longer play league football. I believe I think uh, we'll get that retirement story very shortly.
0: Interesting and and sad. Another injury, too, of uh, consequence, probably more so than it's been given credit for, Geelong forward, Grine Myers. Um, He's had issues before with a fractured fibula. And for a second time this season, a small crack has been diagnosed after a knock in last week's win over Richmond. Doesn't require surgery, fortunately, which gives him some sort of chance of getting back, but, Uh, likely that he would at best be back in time for the first final, Uh, probably more likely some stage in the final series. Now, people will go, Brian Myers, well, it's not Joel Selwood or Tom Hawkins. Well, I think Myers really gives them something. And uh, I've got an, an image in my mind of last year's grand final where he kicked a terrific goal on the run, which sort of kept the cat's In the contest, as things were starting to look a bit ugly, I think he gives them some genuine zip around um, the goals and is a a really good complement to the marking power of the likes of Hawkins, Cameron, and those mid-size forward skills of Gary Rowan. I
1: think he's a a significant loss for them. Very significant and certainly a part of their best 22 got injured Initially this season, whilst in very good form, playing against Sydney Swans up in Sydney, comes back gets a knock again, and it's a it's a it's an area where this very well balanced team we know that they probably have issues in the ruck, and if you had to point to a second part of their makeup that could be vulnerable, it is their small forward setup. So a very important and as you say slightly underestimated and undervalued part of that team, it's, it's key that he gets back. And it's going to be close whether or not he plays in the finals and it's going to be, be close who's going to be the beneficiary because I guess close is the player that will stay in the side until Grind Myers is fit and then they'll work out whether they need to play Myers and close or just Myers on his own.
0: Yeah, I think you, you played both in the best-case scenario. I think close has been really impressive. But like I said, I think Meyer's pretty important. Uh, all right, well, certainly a bad time to be getting serious injuries to players now for those sides still in finals contention. And we're going to finish off this news segment with a bit of a drier story, but nonetheless pretty significant. And that is reports that uh, after a meeting between the AFL and club presidents, on Tuesday, the AFL has come up with a plan to help keep the competition ticking over in this COVID-afflicted time. Uh, there's no doubt some of the uh, not-so-buoyant uh, Melbourne clubs particularly have found it difficult. Uh, the competition has been losing an estimated $6 million a week uh, of late with all the rescheduled games and the toing and froing and special flights that Go on with that. So, there's no doubt the pandemic has been an enormous financial drain on the competition and will continue to be for some time. So, to that end, the AFL has come up with a, pro- a proposal that would see the uh, better off clubs lose about $2 million in base funding next year, that pool to be redistributed to clubs hit worst by the pandemic. Now, the interesting thing here is the immediate reaction from those clubs involved. And this is where the AFL's, I guess, socialist policies, draft, salary cap, uh, equalisation, etc., uh, get tested as strongly as ever. I think the past 30 or so years have proved undeniably that equalisation has helped the game not only survive but prosper well, now it could well be more about survival. And it's fair to say the richer clubs aren't too flash about it. Uh, Richmond, Collingwood, Essendon, Hawthorne and West Coast have all objected to this proposal. Some clubs more vocal in their opposition than others. Uh, perhaps not surprisingly, Hawthorne President Jeff Kennett leading the charge there, uh, the most animated in opposing the agenda. His claim that the league wanted to pull down the profits of the financially able um, in order to keep things ticking along. So uh, the largesse, I guess, and the compassion or whatever other descriptors you'd like of the richer clubs really being put to the test here. And initially, at least, um, the response, uh, not overly sympathetic, I think it's fair to say.
1: How do you see this one, Finey? Some interesting elements. I think in the, in the end, by the way, the AFL get their way and the spread of money will always be their responsibility. It's their money to dish out and they will always, not always, but under the current regime and under the current way of thinking, they will make sure that the poorer clubs are best looked after. Now, of course, the archetypal capitalist, Jeffrey Kennett, still looking for reds under the bed. Anything that has a faint whiff of socialism, he feels he's almost um, impelled, compelled, I should say, compelled to fight against. Just a little warning, Jeffrey. You know, your club is still probably financially benefiting and, and still enjoying some of the sunlight from the triple premiership run under Clarko and then, of course, a flag a few years before that. It wasn't all that long ago that even on the back of a magnificent era, your club was backs to the wall facing a merger with Melbourne. Hawthorne, I believe, of those big, powerful clubs, is the one that could be most vulnerable going forward and just careful... And careful how you phrase your opposition to this, Jeffrey, because you know, be just be warned by history that Hawthorne isn't always in the top bracket. Adelaide and Geelong are financially viable, but they said that they had no opposition to the plan. And the other interesting factor was. The club that once used to lead this chorus, of course, was Carlton under the likes of John Elliott and and John and Rice and other famous leaders of the club. Um, Now, it's a different world at Carlton and they certainly had no opposition to the idea of sharing the money with an eye of helping the less financial clubs because they're no longer top of the pops.
0: Well, they have certainly been the beneficiaries of some AFL largesse themselves. And again, just to give you an idea of the extent of the damage being wrought here, um, the AFL has indicated the league could potentially lose up to $50 million this year with a minimum loss of $20 million. Uh, that depending on what happens in the finals with crowds and whether, in fact, we will have crowds at the finals. Um At the very least, we know that uh, if a majority of finals are in Melbourne, they'll be with severely reduced crowds. Of course, no crowds in Melbourne for games for another two rounds. So it's uh, very precarious times for the game. And I would have thought uh, no better time for all hands on deck and the uh, esprit de corps to kick in. And like you, I think uh, it'll end up happening, but uh, it's just certain people need to make certain noises in order to maintain their public profile and uh, make sure they're still uh, somewhat approaching as relevant as they once were when uh, certain of them led certain states in certain political positions, i.e. Jeff Kennett, if you need that (laughs) drummed out to you. Uh, All right, interesting times, precarious times for the game as a whole. Precarious times for plenty of teams in the race for a final spot. Nine big games to be played in Round 20. We've got the best previews of all of them coming right up. On Footyology wrap around. Well, Round 20 kicks off Friday evening at Marvel Stadium, a crowdless Marvel Stadium, unfortunately and particularly, unfortunately, because this one could probably do with a touch of atmosphere. It is St Kilda up against Carlton, 7.50 p.m. the start time. Palmerbet Bet uh, saying on the head-to-head St Kilda, pretty warm favourites. You can get $1.53 head-to-head against the Blues for the Saints. The Blues, you can get $2.50 head-to-head their chance of upsetting the Saints. Stats Insider, what have they got for us on this one? Well, incredibly, the Saints are just half a game outside the top eight still, despite those two losses in their last two games. And according to the Stats Insider futures model, still have a 20% chance of barging their way in. As for the Blues, they likely blew their outside chance in their loss to North Melbourne last week, where they were once again blown to pieces defensively. They ranked 15th for total points conceded this season. They are 11th and 13th for uncontested possessions and metres gained differentials and they sit dead last for tackle differentials. No doubt at all, Finey, that that loss to North, particularly that miserable third quarter, seven goals to nothing, exposed Carlton's defensive deficiencies Can they find something and have they turned to anyone at selection to assist them in those endeavours? You bet they
1: can. How about this for a name expected to come back against St Kilda? Not saying that uh, he's going to win them the game, but the long-awaited return of Charlie Curnow is on the cards. (laughs) Who? How about that one? That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So, So, yeah, I think he'll play because uh, no sign of the all-important Harry Mackay with that toe injury, and that makes him vulnerable at the top of the Coleman medal hunt, sort of makes it interesting. But he's likely to miss out again. Now, they've got a first game possibility, and that's Brody Kemp. He might come into the side as well. And so possibly Lucky Fogarty, the guys to miss out. Matt Cottrell seems to be just hanging on and possibly Stocker or Owies. As for St Kilda, sound the bugle because here come the cavalry. Have a listen to this for a likely list of ins for the Saints. Rowan Marshall, we know, missed out last week in Perth and a vital cog in the St Kilda lineup has been pointed out before in tandem with Ryder. He had to miss out because he was at a tier one site watching the rugby, he's available for selection. He'll come straight back into the team. Higgins has missed the last couple of weeks. He's ready to return. Highmore out with a hand injury against WAs or against West Coast in Had been playing great football. He comes back into the team. Dan McKenzie also playing very good football was out with concussion protocol. He returns to the side. And here's one that's a surprising return. Hunter Clark is ready to return after that jaw injury, uh, controversially got in that game against Adelaide when tackled pretty ferociously by, or not tackled, but clashed pretty ferociously with David McKay of the Adelaide Crows. The guys to miss out, Big Ruckman Hunter will miss out, Claverino who came into the side, Dean Kent hasn't had a lot of the ball, either Ben Long and maybe Leo Connolly, the youngster, who's been okay in dispatches. But there are a lot of big ins for St Kilda. There's still a uh, definite chance of playing finals. They've got a couple of very hard games still to go against Sydney and Geelong. But they can only take it one game at a time, and as long as there's a realistic opportunity to make it, that gives them more incentive than the Blues, who really lost their chance in that poor loss to North Melbourne last week. They had no spearhead and they really looked aimless when going forward. Now, Charlie Curnow's a potentially interesting inclusion, but first game in virtually two years makes him a watch rather than a real target, sort of, uh, I don't think he'll be ready to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. Without Harry Mackay, they look pretty lame up front. We know on the stats inside of Stats, they're poor defensively and, St Kilda, with that pretty good lineup, should have no problems, even though St Kilda have been terrible at Marvel this season. I think they win comfortably by 44, no, odd number, 45 points.
0: Uh, well, I agree on the uh, your tip, certainly. Um, you mentioned St Kilda have been terrible at Marvel this season. Well, the Blues, their record there isn't too flash either. They have now lost six of their last eight games at Docklands. I've never felt like they've played the ground particularly well. I think the MCG is definitely their preferred venue. I think it's important we don't overreact to that defeat against North Melbourne. North Melbourne, a vastly different proposition than they were in the first half of the season. And uh, even with that loss, the Blues uh, have now won, I think, what, three of their last five, and they've won three of four heading into that game. So their form overall over the journey hasn't been Terrible. Uh, I think they're capable of making the Saints work for it. That said, St Kilda's record against the Blues pretty handy in recent times. They've won six of the last seven meetings. Got to admit, I am really looking forward to seeing Kerno. Talk about forgotten men. Uh, I just hope we can see the same version of him we got uh, tastes of here and there prior those debilitating injuries because he is a wonderful player when he's on song. So something for the blues fans to enthuse about at least. Uh, St Kilda, well stats insider said they're 20% chance still of making the eight. Uh, I think that might go up just fractionally after this week, because I think they're going to have a comfortable enough victory in this one. I'm going for the saints by 30 points. That is the Friday night game. Some big games coming up on the Saturday. First game on the Saturday menu. It is on Mars. There's a crappy joke again in Ballarat. It is between the Western Bulldogs and Adelaide. It is at the even earlier start time of 12.20pm. you got to be careful here. Pretty soon we're going to be having games for breakfast. That is a very early start time. Uh, Bulldogs, Adelaide, Palmer Bet are saying with well, this one, it's pretty lopsided, as you'd expect. The Bulldogs, hot, smoking hot favourites on the head-to-heads, paying $1.09. And the Crows, well, if you're fancy and upset, because the Crows did win last week, they weren't too bad, you can get a very appetising $7.50 head-to-head with our mates at ParmaBet. Stats Insider say that that was perhaps the Dogs' best win of the season last week against Melbourne, and one they accomplished by having to break away from their preferred style. They mastered a season low, not mastered, mustered, a season low five marks inside 50. They They're out-possessed and they are out-tackled, yet they are able to lean on their prestigious talent, such as the now even-money Brownlow medal favourite Marcus Bontempelli. That was the seventh time this season the Dogs captain has had at least 25 touches, two or more goals, and 500-plus metres gained. The Dogs are now seven and zip when the Bont achieves those numbers, with four of those seven performances coming against top eight sides. Talk about a barometer. He is one absolute superstar, Marcus Bontempelli. Uh, Yeah, Adelaide going to be up against it here, Finney. Anything they can turn to in terms of selection?
1: Not really. Nick Murray, who was concussed in a high flying mark attempt a couple of weeks ago, should be right to come back. And he will probably replace, in and out of the side, too good for the Sandfield, not good enough for the AFL, Billy Frampton. The Bulldogs have a couple of players unavailable. Of course, Alex Keith with an untimely hamstring injury. It does give Josh Shackey a chance to prove himself in the back line. That'll be an interesting watch. And Ed Richards, also concussion. The protocol means that he misses this game. Josh Dunkley is back for the doggies. He also was at that rugby game that Rowan Marshall attended. So he's right to come back after the protocols regarding COVID. And... Maybe Young can come into the team to bolster the defence a little bit whilst those players, Richards and Keith, convalesce. Look, that was a great win by the Bulldogs. We know that they're home away from home. Mars is a difficult place for clubs to come to and play their best football. And just looking at the weather in Melbourne at the moment, gales howling winds. And they're not expected to subside any time quickly. We could have one of these old fashioned games with scoring only capable, able at one end. Could make for an interesting watch, but no, I can't see Adelaide having the players to master the conditions or to muster enough of a score to beat the doggies. And especially because they're sort of concerning more with their own football than winning games and, and locking down on others, expect and Pelly to run wild again. Even money might look good by the end of this round. I'm saying the Doggies, in tough conditions, to win easily by 39 points.
0: Well, it's one thing the Crows do have going for them in this game, and that is uh, they at least have some prior experience of this ground. They did play the Bulldogs up there two seasons ago. Uh, it was the last round, in fact, of 2019. Uh, pretty, oh, well, not a you know, shocking loss, but a loss by a comfortable margin, 34 points that day. But uh, they will have some idea of what to expect. Um, Pretty encouraging for them to sort of get back their A game last week against the Hawks. It's funny, that was one of the, you know, sort of lower profile games of the season, but one of the more entertaining. And uh, they wrapped up a decent tally, Uh, the Crows. 16-6 to Tex Walker, back on song, a few other um, important parts of the machine getting back into form as well. That said, uh, the dogs were great. And as our Stats Insider friends told us, that was pretty significant, not just that they beat Melbourne, but the way they beat Melbourne. They don't have to just win on the fly. They can grind it out. And I thought that was demonstrated pretty ably in that game in which conditions were similarly pretty ordinary for at least a half. That'll give them a heap of confidence, the fact that they can win more than one way. They've got uh, a lot more to play for than the Crows and uh, good enough in terms of the talent advantage to maximise that. I think the conditions might keep the scores lower, um, so I'm not predicting a blowout here, but I am going for the Bulldogs by a comfortable enough 28 points all right, that is the first game on Saturday. Uh, the second one, down in Hobart. The third game of Round 20 at Blunstone Arena in Hobart, 1.15pm. It is between North Melbourne and Geelong. Of course, the AFL having negotiated with two state governments a, quote, sterile corridor, unquote, to enable teams to play games in Tassie. So good on the Tasmanian government for coming to the party there. Pretty lopsided, the betting with Palmer bet on this game. The Cats, understandably, very hot favourites, paying $1.20 on the head-to-heads. North Melbourne, after some really good recent form and really good win over the Blues, they are still... Uh, Very much the Outsiders at $4.60. Now, while North Melbourne has spent each of this year's 18 rounds on the bottom of the ladder, say Stats Insider, few would regard them as the definitively worst team in footy. Yes, they've conceded the league's most amount of points and scored the AFL's least, yet they have emerged as a completely different team after their Round 12 bye. They've lost just three of their past sorry three of their last six now and all to teams in the finals hunt and in two of those matches they were still good enough to have a half-time lead four and a half wins at the bottom of the ladder only got to win one more game and it'll be if they end up with a wooden spoon the best tally by a wooden spooner for more than 20 years believe it or not so Looking pretty good. Nonetheless, the odds against them, against the ultra-consistent Cats. Uh, we talked about Brian Myers before finally, Obviously, one change there for the Cats. Any
1: others on the horizon? Well, Geelong actually have, Rowan, a couple of injury concerns. And the main one is Joel Selwood. He was subbed out against Richmond last week with that cork to the quad. And they won't be taking any risks with him. Do they fly him down to Hobart? I probably think that they don't. And, of course, as pointed out earlier on in the program, no Grine Myers to consider as well. So a couple of concerns there. And uh, though have players to come in, and we'll just see out of uh, the guys that sort of knock on the door regularly, the likes of Zach Guthrie, et cetera, who gets that job. As for North Melbourne, well, they're going to miss one of their stars, the real emergence this year of Taron Thomas, will be halted slightly because he's out with concussion protocol. Tarrant we can replace Tarrant though. Robbie Tarrant ready to come back in the side, as is Jack Marnie who's proved a bit of a live wire and he might come in for Will Phillips. Look, twenty seems big odds for, uh, sorry, thin odds for Geelong with North Melbourne, good odds offered there because they do um, instinctively I feel play well down at Hobart and they have Had good results here this year, the draw against GWS, the standout. The problem I have, though, look, Geelong, so good. In recent weeks, I mean, they've defeated Richmond, really extinguished their claims this season. The week before, they travelled up up, over to Perth and were brilliant against Fremantle. And I think a lot of it is on that defence. And what a defence it is, and so miserly, How does a team like North circumvent that? I mean, Larky's been great, but Blitzavs can take him. Zerhar always dangerous, but more a pop gun forward than somebody you can rely on to certainly beat the Cats. And defence is often the springboard for winning games. And I think it might be the case down in Hobart, a bit of a slog, won't be an easy win, might not be an easy watch. But I've got Geelong by 17. Yeah, well, the uh, the venue's certainly an interesting factor in this, isn't
0: it? Geelong hasn't played there before. Um, I'm, I don't know if the dynamics of uh, Bell Reeve Oval, or sorry, Blundstone Arena are that different to too many other grounds. So it doesn't necessarily propose, uh, uh, throw up that big a hurdle. Um, we talk about North liking the venue, and that's what it feels like to me, that the stats don't, necessarily back that up they did have a fantastic record there until the start of 2019 Uh, since then it has been a struggle for them they've played eight games at this venue they've only won three of them they've lost four and they've drawn another one so batting at less than 50 percent on this supposed uh, well not fortress but certainly kindly uh, second home for the Roos look super impressive against Carlton super impressive in that win over West coast in Perth. They're playing some really good footy. Uh, you're right though, Taron Thomas, he was superb last week. And that is a major loss for them. And, uh, look, I think the cats, uh, they can, well, this is their time, the cats. I've actually written a column, uh, this week, which you'll be able to read on Footyology tomorrow about, uh, it being really in a way Geelong's premiership to lose now. I think their experience is going to just be so valuable given the sides they're coming up against, particularly in the finals. North Melbourne, not going to be one of them, but uh, I'll certainly have it over the ruse for experience. I don't think this will be a pretty game. I think the Cats might uh, do another one of those, grind it out, slow it down. Uh, strike in a devastating burst type wins, which is sort of how they won over Richmond too. Uh, pretty dour affair apart from this burst of five goals in nine minutes by the Cats in the second term, which effectively won it. I can see that happening again. I do think they end up winning comfortably enough. Uh, I'm going for the Cats by 22 points. The Richie Benno margin there. All right, next game. Still plenty up in the air with this one, but let's talk about it anyway. The mid-afternoon game on Saturday. It is 3.10pm Eastern time. It is Gold Coast against Melbourne. Uh, Can't give you a venue, unfortunately, because as we record this, still hasn't been confirmed. This game originally scheduled for TIO Stadium in Darwin. Uh, That will not be the case. Uh, You'd think somewhere in Queensland, one of those two venues there, but yet to be finalised. That, of course, affects the betting. So uh, as we record, there's still no head-to-heads available for ParmaBet, but they will be there as soon as the venue is announced. So check on the ParmaBet app or at ParmaBet.com. When we do have a venue and you can see what the head-to-heads are offering there, give you the tip, they'll be pretty lopsided as well. Uh, that said, though, the Suns have had some reasonable performances lately, not so much in the second half last week in the Demons' form, not what it was earlier this season. To that effect, Stats Insider tell us the Suns rank dead last for both contested position and clearance differential, and 17th for inside 50 differential, yet are clearly making some massive strides. They had a five-goal halftime lead against the Lions last week. They lost by just 11 points to the Dogs, and they beat both Richmond and GWS the previous two weeks. As for Melbourne, well, since that nine-game unbeaten start to this season, they're just four wins, four losses, and a draw. And they still haven't topped 100 points in a game since round seven. So, at forward, set up for the D's continuing to be an issue. Lost a bit of their outside zip too. I'd suggest uh, what can they do to get a bit more pip back in their step, Farnie?
1: I don't know whether Melbourne are going to tinker too much. I mean, Tom Sparrow's the one that always seems to be on the subs medical subs bench. He could come into the side, but. What they're going to look for is a turnaround in form for the likes of Salem, Rivers and Jordan. And I think they all absolutely survive to play against Gold Coast. As for Gold Coast, they made a mistake last week. They played Oleg Markov. They shouldn't have. He was coming back from a hamstring injury. And how long did he last? (laughs) Two minutes? Might have been a different story because they would have been well served with uh, another player to call on possibly... Rather than Markov. Look, Brody came on and played well. He holds his spot in the team. I think they might play Zach Smith. Uh, McInerney ran roughshod over the part time Ruckman of the Suns, and coming up against Max Gorn, Smith looks a likely inclusion. Uh, so he comes in, Brody in, out goes the aforementioned Markov, and maybe Rory Atkins, who's expensive. High-profile signing by the Gold Coast Suns has yet to bear fruit. Again, one of these games, Rowan, where so much to play for for the Demons and for Gold Coast, pride, and they've shown plenty of it in recent weeks, no doubt about it, is going to be their motivator. Now, look, they cannot afford Melbourne to continue this low-scoring sort of... um, Uh, Funk, blue funk that they're in. They've got to hit the scoreboard and they need to do it this week against the Gold Coast Suns because the Suns will play an offensive brand of football when they get the ball. That means attacking, not offending anybody. They will forge forward. Ben King is a target. We know that Sexton's dangerous around goals. They've got great format at Took Miller this year and Braden Fiorini was great last week. So they've got some midfield strength and some outside run Melbourne are going to have to get more than their seemingly standard nine or ten goals to beat the Suns I think that they can do it I'm not 100% sure I think that they can do it I know that they've got every motivation to do so and I say Melbourne by 21 points yeah
0: I've, I've just got a funny feeling given that they're coming off a loss that something might click for the demons this week I reckon there might be a Sort of a, a light bulb moment in terms of we're going to get back to playing that brand of footy we were playing at the start of this season. We know they're a really good contested team. Look, they weren't far off it against the Bulldogs. Um, you know, they're always competitive in the clinches. They really have stopped generating a lot of that rebound and drive off halfback and through the midfield. And, you know, Langdon's a big part of that. Jaden Hunt's a big part of that. Salem. He's dropped away from what he was. You know, just those guys that give him the little bit extra on the outside, I think, have uh, just fallen away. And I, I don't think that's coincidental that the team's performances have fallen away at the same time. Gold Coast, well, what Stats Insider saying is true. I mean, if you look at their body of work over the last six or so weeks, given what they're usually serving up, uh, it, there are definite advances being made. That said, That was a ridiculous turnaround uh, last week. You can't be going turning a a five-goal lead into a massive defeat. It was something like 70-something points, the turnaround in the finish. So that's back to the bad old sons. Uh, In terms of opponent, funnily enough, given Melbourne hasn't actually been outrageously successful over this decade or so, um, Melbourne's record against Gold Coast is pretty intimidating. They've played 14. The Demons have won 11 of them, uh, including the last eight in a row. In fact, Gold Coast's last win over Melbourne uh, was at the MCG all the way back in 2014. So they're due. Um, This could actually be a, a good game to watch, I suspect. I think the weather wherever it's played is likely to be sunny. The ground firm. Uh, We see the Suns are capable of playing a pretty attacking brand. And like I said, the Demons desperately need to recapture theirs. I think they'll do it comfortably enough in the finish, maybe a bit like last week. The Gold Coast giving some cheek early, the Demons pulling away and going for them to win by 36 points. Uh, Which brings us to another mid-afternoon fixture on Saturday afternoon, this one in Melbourne. (laughs) 4.15 Saturday afternoon, MCG, unfortunately, with the gates locked. That is the time and the place of the battle between Collingwood and West Coast. Of course, some wonderful finals clashes between these two. Most recently, well, not most recently, they had an elimination final last year. But uh, in terms of the venue, think back to that epic 2018 grand final uh, both sides, I think it's fair to say, not what they were then. Particularly the Pies, believe it or not, they're still in contention for the wooden spoon. Haven't won one of them since 1999, so a uh, bit of work to do to avoid that. Palmer bet are saying that even though this game is in Melbourne and the Eagles haven't been travelling well, they are pretty warm favourites in this one, paying a dollar fifty-five head-to-head. Collingwood two dollars forty-seven you can get on the Magpies. Stats Insider say the Eagles have won a couple in a row now and firmed up their September chances to 68.5% probability of making the eight, according to the Stats Insider futures model. Last week was just the fourth time in Dom Sheed's 137-game career where he's had at least 30 touches and kicked multiple goals in a game. And the first time he's produced those numbers in nearly two years. He was certainly pivotal in that win over the Saints. With that said, West Coast are still unproven against either good teams or outside of WA this season. They've lost five of their last six games in Victoria. And they're just three and five when they've travelled interstate this season. So it's an age-old problem for them. One they overcame when they were able to win that premiership, but seem to have regressed into some bad old habits. finally uh, they got some key players back over the last couple of weeks. Anyone else coming back for the Eagles? And what about the Pies? Are they going to give a chance to another kid or two?
1: Well, for the Eagles, they cannot consider Liam Ryan, who hurt his hamstring early in the game against the Saints. And they've got a, a few choices to come back. Jack Redden, possibly. Alex Witherden. If they're going like for like, maybe Isaiah Winder. Who was in the team early in the season is a forward and could replace Liam Ryan. As for Collingwood, of course, no Scott Pendlebury out for the year with a fractured leg, but they welcome back another forgotten man. We spoke spoke about Charlie Kurnow earlier on. Well, how about Jeremy Howe? Bit of a forgotten man, but a spectacular footballer, and he'll be welcome back. To, welcome back into the Collingwood side. I think they put him straight back in. He doesn't need to play in the VFL. Let's have a look at Jeremy Howe, and we love the way he plays the game. I thought that kid Towhill, the Irish boy, was a little bit out of his depth, and he might be replaced. And if so, they could bring in, well, maybe the likes of a Tom Wilson. He's had a, a little look at league football, but if they're playing youngsters, he's the obvious replacement. Collingwood. Oh, gee, it's funny that you mention that the spoon's still a possibility. I feel a bit for Robert Harvey. They've played some decent football under Harvey, of course. Only the one win, but they've shown in dispatches some of the form that Collingwood fans would like. The problem is that the game style hasn't changed all that much. It's not attacking enough. It's not daring enough. And against the West Coast Eagles, who I think you'll point out, go pretty well against Collingwood at the MCG, it's not going to be enough. They were in great form last week, the two big forwards, Kennedy and Darling, and also a similarly sort of halting style of football that really impinged on West Coast's ball movement and ability to score in the games leading up to the St Kilda match seemed to be cast aside. They were far more positive with the ball. They moved it quicker. And I'm sure they'll take that mindset into the game against Collingwood... They've got much more to play for. They've got many more targets up forward. They've got far greater scoring capabilities. And for that reason, West Coast for mine by 29. Now,
0: the history between these two is pretty interesting. I mean, the Pies have clearly, uh, you know, they've upset West Coast in that final last year in Perth, uh, another big home and away game in Perth. Haven't actually played them at the MCG since uh, round three in 2019, so a good uh, two and a half years. That game was in early April. But, yeah, look, I, I hate using that phrase, flat-track bully, but, it's gee, West Coast are looking more and more like a side that you know likes it on their own terms, likes it in their own backyard, uh, not so terrific when it gets a bit tough or when the venue is uh, not their own backyard. Uh, speaking of which, they did have to win a grand final there, of course. And funnily enough, their recent uh, record at the MCG since 2018, it's very good. In fact, it's probably as good a away venue as they've played at. They've won six of their last eight at the G and uh, their only other appearance there this year against Hawthorne. And they won that one very comfortably by 38 points. Look, they were uh, that was a high quality win over St Kilda last week, the Saints um, were presenting their better selves and the Eagles had to work really hard for it. And I think that'll help their um, return to some, something approaching closer to their best form. I think Collingwood shot, really, I didn't see too much to enthuse about in that game against Port Adelaide and uh, even against Carlton, it was a game Um, that they let sleep in one shocking quarter. I don't think they'll end up with a wooden spoon, but uh, I think West Coast simply have too much to play for in this one. Can't tip against them. I think it'll be, eh, it might be uh, hard work for much of the journey, but I think West Coast will merge with the points. I'm going for them to win by 12. Uh, That brings us to a big Saturday night game. This one initially on a Friday night, now big Still big on a Saturday night. Let's talk about that. Well, those two teams have had some epic clashes over the years. Haven't had too many of them in Queensland, though. And that is the venue, the Gabba, specifically, for Essendon against Sydney. 7:40 p.m. Saturday evening. This time the Swans are going to start pretty warm favorites with Palmer Bet paying a dollar thirty-four. Essendon. A more lucrative $3.29 after a pretty ordinary performance last week. That, of course, on Palmer bit. Always remember to gamble responsibly. This is an absolute must win for the Bombers, so Stats Insider with their final eight prospects now down to just 22.8%. And I'll tell you what, they'll slip a fair bit lower than that if they lose this with the Western Bulldogs to follow next week. So, a tough prospects for the Bombers. Uh, Sydney has assembled one of the league's very best offences. And of course, uh, to that end, very, very relieved about the overturning of Buddy Franklin's suspension. Uh, Their 88.5 per game scoring record against top eight teams is the AFL's best figure. Worryingly for Essendon is the fact they've got the sixth worst offence in the league so gee the Swans have had a remarkable metamorphosis they were a, a dour side that now is very attractive to watch they were a famously low scoring team which now can mix it on the scoreboard with even the best sides in the competition uh well finally, St. Uh, St Kilda Sydney don't need to find a replacement for Buddy Franklin anything else they're talking about And what about the Bombers what can they do to Freshen
1: things up, a few quibbles about their selection last week. Well, your man uh, looks right to return. We'll have to pass a fitness test, but Kyle Langford would be a welcome inclusion into the side. Not only does he add to the midfield, that looks a little bit tired. We know that Parrish and Merritt have had great seasons, but their output was less than expected in the loss to the Giants. And I uh, wouldn't be surprised if they returned with Alec Waterman because I just don't think Cutler cuts the mustard. As for their opponents, well, Sydney welcome back a couple of players also impacted upon by that now notorious game of rugby down in Melbourne. Callum Mills can return to the side, as can Cunningham. And uh, there's some spots there. Ronke most likely to make way for the Swans. He'd be one that would miss out. Maybe Bell as well. He seems sort of just in the side. And uh, I think they'll be the two changes. Look, Franklin's re-inclusion into the team, of course, after initially getting a one match suspension, will go a long way to pressing the back line. First of all, makes it very difficult for Essendon to cover because Sam Reid is back in the team as well. So that will really stretch Essendon's defensive capabilities. But where I think Sydney have an edge over the Bombers is through the midfield. They've got that magnificent ruck in Hickey. Draper is going to be able opposition, but I think Hickey with form on his side still needs to be beaten. And I haven't seen him beaten much this year. The problem is that Parrish, so brilliant for so much of this season is now having to combat a bit of late season fatigue and also regularly coming up against a tagger. Does he get George Stewart? I think he may. And he's one of the best in the business. So, where do Essendon win the ball through the middle? Shield came back into the side. His obvious limitations were shown again as he screamed in for an important goal and missed for the Bombers. But his ball-getting ability will be appreciated. For mine, the Swans are clicking and clicking at the right time of the season. How about that forward line? I mentioned Reed and Franklin. Heaney now seems to be... A real danger. Five goals last week, or was it six? And he now stands up as another likely max winner. The other one, Tom Papley, could have had six. What was it? One goal, five, a couple on the full. <laughs> Boy, too many guns up forward for the Swans. Too much good form. The Bombers, you know what? They could play really well and still lose this one. I think they will play well, but they'll go down by 7-8. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I tell you what, I mentioned
0: some epic battles. They have, have ritually been very close games. In fact, the last four games, the biggest margin in any of them, 10 points. The Swans, of course, won by three points earlier this season at the SCG. Uh, last year, a six-point margin. Essendon winning that one early in the season. Uh, Essendon beating the Swans at the MCG in 2019 by 10 points. And the Swans winning the earlier game at the SCG by five points. So, uh, what is that? 9-4. 24 points. Just the aggregate in the last four meetings. I can see this one being close. There's something about these two sides which seems to make it close. But Essendon would have to, uh, yeah, they'd have to get a bit of a spark. I've got to be critical of what they did in selection terms last week. I, I think bringing David Zarakis back is a mistake. He is cooked and he didn't give them anything really. Um, and it came at the expense of Mac for you. I think he's had a pretty good season, uh, has shown significant grunt. And uh, I, I thought that was a, a, sent a bad message. So they'll be tempted to keep Zarakis, I think just for the run factor against those younger Swans. But I think he's, I think he's just about cooked. I'd, I'd rather be going with Mac Guelphie. I think Langford will be an important inclusion in a midfield that got uh, pretty much smashed uh, in all the hard categories last week. Uh, it is last chance to learn for the Bombers because Western Bulldogs, they won't be winning that one. I've got a terrible record against the Doggies of late. This is a must win. I, think I can see that keeping a minute pretty deep into the contest, but you can't tip against the Swans uh, the way... By, um, the way the second half unfolded the previous game against GWS and the way really they played the whole game against Freo. This is a solid going places. Uh, they're going to end up winning this one, I suspect, by 10 points. Alright, that is Saturday uh, previewed. Let's talk about Sunday. Hi. First game on Sunday afternoon. It is in Launceston. It is 2.10pm. It is Hawthorne against Brisbane. And uh, the Lions, pretty comfortable favourites on Palmerbet head-to-head betting. You can get $1.15 for the Lions. Hawthorne offering $5.50. Stats inside are telling us the Hawks are now equal wooden spoon favourites, along with North Melbourne. Um, it's an unwanted honour they haven't had to collect since 1965. They will meet Alliance team that's still hunting down a third straight top four finish, and which is rated a 47.6 chance of doing so, according to Stats Insiders Futures model. These two teams haven't actually played since round one last season. Meanwhile, this will be the fourth time Mitchell has suited up against Brisbane as a Hawk in his previous three matches. Tom Mitchell has averaged 38 touches and 4.7 tackles a game. Isn't that remarkable? They haven't met since round one last year, which was the day uh, you'll remember the season was put on hold for three months, uh, which in terms of the COVID pandemic seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, What about Selection Finey? Either side thinking about much
1: here? Not really. Just tinkering around the edges. Brisbane, I think they might give Nakaya Cockatoo a run. He could come in for Madden. And as for the Hawks, Harry Morrison ready to come back and maybe Tyler Brockman misses out. Look, we know that Hawthorne like playing down in Launceston. It's certainly not an easy place for a team like Brisbane to go. The players will get a bit of a shock when they step off the plane because it's a darn sight cooler than what they're used to but they're a better team. And at the moment, Hawthorne, who are inconsistent and have shown that they can certainly um, you know, rattle the cage of better teams, if not beat better teams. They've had some good wins, good wins in recent times. A win over GWS was full of merit. Nevertheless, Brisbane in that second half against their q clash rivals, the Gold Coast, really shook off the cobwebs, didn't they? And that forward line, it's multi-pronged and many, many dangers there and I, I sort of look to their scoring ability, especially at ground level with Lincoln McCarthy playing career best football, he's good in the air as well, Charlie Cameron, he's going alright, don't worry about that as being too much for the Hawks to handle yes, Tom Mitchell's a good midfielder does he get enough support? O'Meara, he's had a, a sort of a patchy season, Warple at times good, maybe not as effective as when Mitchell is not in the team, but Brisbane do have some real midfield strength. Of course, we know that it's been a patchy season for Lockie Neal. Zorko, though, is a very good player. Nothing patchy about your favourite man, Jared Lyons. He's a super midfielder. and there, There's just too much ball-winning ability, I think, for Hawthorne to handle. Should be a good clash in the ruck. We know McAvoy's brave, and we certainly know that Oscar McAdoon is a handful, as he proved last week in the Q clash. Brisbane, with all to gain Hawthorne, with a wooden spoon at stake, I guess, pride on the line, won't be able to match Brisbane, who are still very much in the hunt for a top four spot. It's the Lions for mine by 31.
0: Yeah, something seemed to click for Brisbane in that second half last week against Gold Coast. Uh, They really got back some of the flair. I I think they've been lacking. Um, They'll need a fair bit of resilience too in a game like this. It's not just... About the opponent, about the venue as well. Although, having said that, they have won their last two uh, appearances at this ground in Launceston against the Hawks. In fact, they've won four of their last five against the Hawks before that uh, loss to them in the first game of last year. I can't get over that. Nearly two full seasons since they even played each other once. Uh, look, Hawthorne, I think it's all doom and gloom for the Hawks. So it actually uh, pinned something along those lines uh, yesterday for Australian community media. Um, they've had some decent individuals emerge this season. I think Lockie Bramble, uh, the most recent one, he has been a really good pickup out of the mid-season draft. Um, when you actually run through their young talent, there's quite a bit coming through. So not all doom and gloom. They're just not gelling the way we're used to Hawthorne teams gelling. And that's something Brisbane seemed to do very effectively last week. Like I said, I think this isn't an easy venue to play at. I don't think you often see sides win big down there. And I don't think Brisbane will win big. I think they will win, however, by 16 points. Two games to go in round 20. Let's talk about the first of them. Okay, next game on the agenda. It is GWS up against Port Adelaide. We have a time, 3.10pm Eastern Time. Still don't have a venue yet to be confirmed as we record this podcast. Uh, not an inconsiderable clash not to have a venue settled for either because these two teams, both inside the 8th, Port in the top four, of course, the Giants winning their way back into that top eight with a good victory last week over Essendon. Uh, We don't have head-to-heads here from Palmerbet, of course, without a venue. Check back at the ParmaBet app or at ParmaBet.com when that venue is announced. Uh, Always remember to gamble responsibly, of course. Stats Insider say the Giants just won't go away grabbing a top eight spot for just the third time in this season's 18 rounds. Though they've only rated a 25% chance to hold that position, owing to a brutal run home, which starts with the power this week and will then include a trip to play Geelong at GMHBA Stadium. Speaking of not going away, the power just won't yield on a top four spot and is still rated as a 55% chance of holding on to a double chance come September. Critical game for either side, fighting What are they considering at selection?
1: Well, Port Adelaide uh, have Orazio Fantasia, one of a few small to mid-sized forwards that have been out, available, and he'll come in probably for Woodcock. How about these for some ins for GWS? That now infamous rugby game, Well, the effects of that are over. So back into the side, Toby Green. Uh, Also, Matt DeBoer can be considered. And Kieran Briggs, all of whom missed out because of that game. And they may all come under due consideration. Green is certainly, of course, to come back in. Stephen Cornelio was a late withdrawal last week. And he can probably make his way back into the team as well. O'Halloran becomes vulnerable, as does Tanner Broome. And for the rest of the It's going to be a bit of a selection headache squeezing those players back into the side. So let's say definite ins for mine are Toby Green and Matt DeBoer and the others uh, might have to wait until late Thursday night to know whether they've made it or not. What an interesting game this is. GWS are in the eight and uh, they certainly last week, I thought, were really good against Essendon down at halftime. Their midfield responded, and what a good game it was by the likes of a hopper who played really well, Taranto, Kelly, all good, and Tom Green, who I thought was fantastic for them. So they've got some midfield strength, and that forward line looks so much better with Toby Green in it, doesn't it? You've got Hogan as a bit of a target, and he's been a welcome return to the side. Himmelberg hits the scoreboard, but with Green, I think it's going to be a tough ask for Port Adelaide to hold that firepower out with that midfield starting to click. As for Port Adelaide, I didn't like the way they sort of were in second or third gear for most of the game against Collingwood last week. Yeah, they got the job done, but an undermanned Collingwood side with Pendlebury off got within nine points in the last quarter. I don't think that's a good sign. I'm not sure about Port Adelaide. I'm not sure about GWS, but I did like their endeavour last week. And I think that they, with a spot in the eight, an unlikely spot early on in the season beckoning, can muster what is required to beat Port Adelaide, which is a, a four-quarter earnest effort. GWS by 11 for me.
0: Yeah, toughest game of the round to tip this one, no doubt about that. Uh, look, Port Adelaide, top four side, you don't get there without decent reason. But I've got to say, they haven't impressed me overly for some time, that win against the Pies included. It was, as you say, just a a, a just-do-enough sort of win. Uh, And GWS, well, look, I mean, they've been as up and down as anyone. But again, that's pretty impressive stuff in that second half against the Bombers. And uh, I think most importantly, their key players are playing well at the perfect time. Whitfield was outstanding for them. Uh, Josh Kelly, uh, very destructive in that second half. Uh, And Toby Green, of course, he's more than just icing on the cake. He is just so critical to that team in terms of top eight sides. Hard to think of a player who's more uh, important to their side than Green is to the Giants. Started to get a bit uh, out of Jesse Hogan as well. And I thought their defence held up pretty well too. So, um, look, they may lose that spot. Stats inside and tell us they've got a a tough run home. But uh, they're certainly going to give themselves a chance, I think, uh, which makes this one critical for them to win. Their record against the Power is pretty good. They've won five of the last six. Another of these strange um, head-to-head clashes where these two have played only once effectively in the last year. So, uh, yeah, they don't uh, know each other that well, These two. I think GWS can keep the finals flame flickering for another week but I think it's going to be really, really close, this one. I'm going for the Giants by two points. One game left in round 20. Let's preview it. The final game on the round 20 schedule. It is in Perth, 5.10pm Eastern time, and it sees Fremantle taking on Richmond. And both sides in a pretty ordinary spot. The Dockers... Uh, comfortably defeated last week and losing probably their two best players for the rest of the season, Richmond. Ugh, the finals flame just about extinguished for the defending Premier. So uh, neither side coming into this with uh, a full head of steam, it's fair to say. Uh, Palmer Bet have the Tigers, even though they're visitors, they have them favourite, paying $1.55 head to head. Fremantle paying $2.47. Stats Insider are calling this an early elimination final for two teams having very peculiar, hard-to-judge seasons. If the Dockers win, they could very well be back in the top eight with only three games to go. As for Richmond, they too could force their way back in. And with games to follow against North Melbourne, GWS and Hawthorne, you'd think it'd be more likely than not that they'd stay there. That said, no Dustin Martin. In fact, you can't talk about this game finally without uh, looking at the incredible catalog of injuries to key players from either side, can you?
1: Well, you can't and unfortunately, you can't replace the five for Fremantle. Walter's form hasn't been good this season, but again, hard to replace. Josh Tracy, the big sort of bulwark forward was out with illness last week. He'll return to the side. And it opens the door with five out for a first-year midfielder to get his, uh, make his debut, and that's Nathan O'Driscoll. So, Fremantle can unveil a newbie there. As for the Tigers, Dion Prestia, what a stop-start season he has had. Every time he's come back, he's injured that hammy again. Well, they say he is ready to go, so let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they're going to play him. And he can come into the side for Jack Ross, who's been a bit disappointing when he's come on a sub. Well, which way do you go in this game? Instinct tells me pick Richmond, so I will. Why? Because they've still got a couple of big key forwards to kick the ball up to. And even without Dustin Martin, they've got a midfield with Cochran and Prestia, Lambert, and Edwards. So there is enough depth there to certainly test what is now a stretched Fremantle lineup. Don't underestimate how big a loss Rory lobber has been as well for the Dockers. And I just go back, hearken back to that game against Geelong where they were simply rudderless. So they just were incapable of scoring. And you know what? Uh, unfortunately, I can't see things improving for them. Not with the lineup that they're going to go in with against the Tigers. So, Richmond for mine by 19 points.
0: A pretty simple equation, this one for me. Fremantle minus Fife and Walters equals uh, Fremantle reserves or close enough to it. Uh, that's how important those two are to what they do, with all due respect to the other players on that list. Uh, They do have a chance because Richmond is uh, in some pretty woeful form. Um, Poor again against Geelong last week. They did rally in that final quarter, kick five goals after barely managing one prior to that. But uh, I wonder what uh, amount of that was due to Geelong just taking the foot off the pedal a little with the game squarely one as for the venue well the Tigers have played at this venue twice already this season they had uh, a 39 point win over Essendon in the Dreamtime game when they rattled on what was it I think seven goals in about 16 minutes that was about the last decent game they played in fact except for their last appearance at the same ground which was that terrific game against West Coast They lost that one by four points in round 13 and have barely given a yelp since. So going to be tough for them here. But Fremantle in absolute disrepair in terms of personnel. Uh, I think Richmond's still good enough to get the job done. Won't be by a lot, though. Both sides severely compromised at the moment. Uh, I'm going for Richmond to win this one by 14 points. That is round 20, previewed. Uh, One bit of this show left It's our favourite segment of course And can I just say Before we hear that wonderful uh, Theme music for it That these are two of the better Flashbacks you're ever going to hear
1: Fantastic footy flashbacks
0: I we'll always look forward to this segment, but particularly so this week, I've been uh, trying to come up with memorable games between sides who were clashing in this week. When I saw that uh, North Melbourne was scheduled to play Geelong, uh, my mouth started watering because there was only one place to go and that finally was to, in my opinion, the greatest game of football ever played, the 1994 preliminary final.
1: Big call, Roko greatest game ever. You know what? I know you love it. I'm finding it hard to disagree with you. I love the 67 grand final, but I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the last few minutes of this classic. And I tell you what, by the end of it, I might be on your side. Well, I'd had
0: everything this. It was uh, end to end. Uh, it was high scoring and then Quite uh, low scoring in the final quarter, but still no shortage of incident and drama. Just an amazing, amazing game of football. The whole thing, if you've never watched it in full, make sure you check it out. It is the whole game is available on YouTube. But uh, for those who want to relive it and for those who may not have uh, heard this before, this is an absolute treat. We have a little package here of the highlights of the final quarter of the greatest game of all time, the 1994 preliminary final.
2: Mansfield gets it up to Hinkley. Hinkley deep in his own defensive area. A cool head, a very cool head. Hocking had to wait though. Opportunity for Stevens. Stevens 25 meters out, he's missed. He has missed.
3: He's hit the post. Wayne Carey, Longmire. Hinkley punches, Ellison, Ellison. He's missed it! Well, there have been chances galore, and the commentators, the players, and the spectators all know it.
2: McCannum is about
3: 80 metres from goal, edging closer.
2: Centers it back comes Carey, McGrath is with him, awkward bounce, McGrath heads for the boundary line. Now it's a foot race. Carey's in front, McGrath in close attendance. Carey hurriedly onto the boot. Allison awkward bounce. He's 25 meters from goal. This time, perhaps, he settles, he gets it. Here come the Kangaroos. Allison gets his third. They're defying the odds.
3: 15 12, North Melbourne 13 19. Back in the middle with just five points the difference and under six minutes left. Chest mark to Rock. A straight kick and there in front. Rock's kick. centre of the ground Gary Hopkins oh. magnificent mark wide to Wills now the Cats are chance they trail by a point Andrew Wills with pace nobody in front of him has missed it but the scores are level oh I make it oh, oh. his second mark of the day Barnes. Why play on? here's Couch that's the way they played Geelong here they go Riccardi
2: around side, listen to the roar, 103 apiece, a minute and ten to go, Smith in the row, end-to-end football, shoulders on in the middle, that's ignored, man's got it now from half-back towards the wing, will we go to extra time, thumped away by Couch, Rocks in front, inside the last minute, here's Schwass on the outer side, goes down towards half-forward, Ill directed. direct it, full Hickley, what a game he's played, back towards half-forward and Couch, Put down to 45 seconds. Inside the 50, Will's got a hand to it lately. Possibly the best on the ground. Hits for the boundary line. Groundless fell over, and the ball's out of bounds. And the clock stops at 34 seconds. North Melbourne defensively been tremendous this last quarter. They've stopped everything that
3: Geelong was throwing at them. 103 points apiece. Last boundary throw in, surely last roll of the dice for geelong the ball towards the boundary line pick rings over and out 25. 25 seconds left we will get another boundary throw in ablett's a man he's got to take the jump here ablett's got to jump grab and have a snap watch him like in the 89 grand final hockey had a big lead Martin gets it but onto the chest of colbert there's 18 seconds left
2: Colbert, what will he do? Started on the bench. We're down to 10 seconds. Colbert. And the mark is missed down there by Barnes. Right on the boundary line, Tudor. Oh! Oh! He will kick after the siren.
3: Oh! Oh, my goodness me! There were two seconds on the clock when Ablett took the mark. There is no justice in
2: football. Was the look on the face of Michael Martin the master all day and this game will be remembered for this kick Gary Ablett, five metres out any score will do Geelong are in the grand final
1: oh, what a famous finish you know what I actually forgot that Anthony Stevens and Brett Allison missed really gettable goals I mean I've got to say, would we have had that fantastic finish had they been on target? So great to listen back and oh, poor old Mickey Martin, hey, bro? Yeah, I was uh, well. One goal in the last quarter, the
0: Cats, and uh, it came after the siren. Martin had played an outstanding game on Ablett. Um That seriously, that last couple of minutes, or even minute and a half. I don't think I've seen 90 seconds of footy like that. Uh, one end to the other, back to the other end. Uh, the drop mark by Barnes. Uh, Brown was fumbling one that uh, was was bouncing to him and he fumbled it over the boundary line. Barnes, he taken the mark in the defensive goal square, and for some reason handballing to Peter Riccardi. Riccardi's run. Lee Colbert has a chance to win it for the Cats. The ball drops short. Lee Tudor's floating punt, et cetera, et cetera. It's just like I've never seen so much drama in the space of a bit over a minute, but uh, that, even the last couple of minutes, just symbolic of the game as a whole, just an incredible game of footy. And I I really couldn't urge you more strongly. If you'd never seen it in full, take a couple of hours out to just sit down and watch it on YouTube. You're in for an absolute treat. All right, finally, I've set the bar pretty high there. Uh, Can you accommodate me?
1: Well, I've got to say, Rowan, this might not be the greatest game of football of all time, but as far as dramas, subplots, great commentary, and a finish to beat the band, I think I'm in the running. I don't want to give it away. Let's go back to 1992. Fitzroy, are uh, even at that early stage in the 90s, really a club that everybody knows are fighting for their survival. They're... At home at Princess Park, doesn't that say at all? Facing the might of a very strong Collingwood team. We pick it up with about two or three minutes to go. So the
2: margin is three points. Just over two minutes left.
4: Kaven has got Dundas if he can find him. Manson with the fly. Well played, Stevens. Left foot, though, by Collingwood, by Fraser. Oh, he's the guy! Pert! Goals! Collingwood in front!
2: Oh. And what about the irony of that? Gary
0: Pert. Well, Pert's had a dirty afternoon. Started at full-back. He's moved up on the half-back line, now at the full forward line, and he's covered himself, or has he covered himself in
3: glory? That's the goal. Let's put them in front, Collingwood. A series of mistakes. The
2: ball, fortunately, falling into Perth's hands. Well, it's a game of centimetres so often. An unlucky touch by a Fitzroy defender deflected it from a teammate. And the Collingwood man waiting behind an ex-teammate. Fitzroy now desperately, with a minute 40 remaining, must get the next goal. They trail by three points. Collingwood 13-11, Fitzroy 12-14. A magnificent come-from-behind situation here for Collingwood. And it will be a victory if they can last this next 125. now. Down goes Lyon. Was he pushed in the back? Not according to the umpire. Monkhorst suggesting he was holding the ball. And we will have a bounce. Done a terrific job in the last quarter, Monkhorst. Marvellous game of football, this one. Here's the bounce then. Paxman with the run, gets it down. Taken by Francis. High kick towards the outer side wing. From there, it will run out with the assistance of McEwen. So a throw in on the wing, inside the last minute of the game. Paxman and Monkhurst will ruck. And we're down to 40 seconds now. Monkhurst back towards the boundary intelligently, but Broderick in the road. Left foot guard with a chance
4: paid too far out to score you'd think he's kicked three there's 30 seconds remaining must go quickly now last chance for fitzroy what a fitting finish this is ruse no unable still an opportunity abbott can't crash his way through ruse's left foot kick is a goal unbelievable finish uh, Well. You talk about irony, Ruse to match perch what a contest, 13, 14, 13, 11, and gone, if ever a captain has kicked a goal,
0: it was then. Well, he really did lift himself, he's come down from centre-half back, he's flown over the top of the pack, he just couldn't control it, Abbott tried to take them on, bust the pack, but he couldn't do it. But then Ruse, in the fortunate position of kicking that left foot snap, it's put Fitzroy back in front. Can they hang on, there's 11 seconds.
4: It's been one of the great games, no question about that. Ten seconds remaining. Can Collingwood pull something out here? Gale misses. It's ticking, it's ticking. Fitzroy have won it. The Lions will win it. Here we go. Well, if ever the character of a club could be questioned and answered, it was today. Because Collingwood gave it to Fitzroy in the last quarter. And if Paul Roos remembers one game from this season, I'm sure it's going to be this one. What What a week he's had. Captain of Victoria,
2: and to do that in the dying seconds. What a terrific game of football. Marvellous game. Played so hard. It deserved a big finish. It got it. And, of course, Pert and Roos. So much was said about them during the course of the week. Close personal friends. It came down to a virtual shootout this afternoon, and that man, number one, Brandishes his fist to the crowd because he had the last say in this game. Fitzroy win a classic
4: at Princess Park, three points as the captain runs off the ground. 13-14 Fitzroy, Collingwood 13-11.
0: Yeah, fantastic finish, uh, fantastic choice of game. This, This was a ripping game, as you heard the commentators say repeatedly. In fact, it was a game Fitzroy dominated for... Three quarters, now, 27 points up at three-quarter time. And then the Pies, after uh, looking pretty ordinary nearly all day, rattled on seven in that last quarter. And what about the uh, the romance, the anti-hero, Gary Pert, having been a Fitzroy favourite, having departed to Collingwood, kicking what looked to be the winning goal against his old club. And then his best mate, Paul Ruse snatching back victory. And my old high school mate, Paul Abbott, in a little cameo there just before Roosie kicked the winning goal. Of course, Paul Abbott played in two premierships with Hawthorne before spending a couple of seasons at Fitzroy. Uh, they were uh, they were still a pretty decent side in those days, the Roys, uh, for a couple of years there before their unfortunate demise over the last couple of years. Uh, great memories from a great old suburban venue too, finally at Prince's Park.
1: Uh, yeah. Good choice. Yeah, good and, choice. and and just all the drama, you're quite right, with Gary Pert as a subplot, not lost on Dennis Cometi, and he was at the height of his powers, wasn't he? Yeah, good stuff indeed. Uh, well, there you go, two
0: wonderful footy flashbacks for this week. Uh, hopefully, you've considered this a wonderful episode of this podcast. We are always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. Fonny, what about our other wonderful sponsors?
1: No gambling with burgers. Go to the top of the shop, the absolute masters in this town of Melbourne. I say head to Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Brickport Street, Upper Park, for a burger to meet the band. And when it comes to new house builds or renovations, West Point Properties, Nick's Bartels team... Are the best. And when it comes
0: to stats, always turn to Stats Insider, sports and data-driven industry leader, providing model projections and analysis for more than 15 sports across the world. Some outstanding writing, too, on their website, independent and free to use. They're your favourite sorts of websites, surely. Check them out at statsinsider.com.au. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at Stats Insider. Give us a follow in several various ways. You can uh, support us financially at the supporter page wherever you're listening to this podcast, thanks to ACAST. Or you can head to footiology.com.au and for $7 Australian a month, become an official footyology patron we're very grateful for the support we get enables us to keep this little operation going and ensure that we can feed those starving children you hear us plug every week before this podcast i hope no one thinks that wasn't a joke it really was just a joke uh thanks for your company everyone good luck to your respective teams this week may they bask in the uh, glow of success. We'll be back uh, to wrap up this round with our Sunday night review. Look out for that. And of course, don't forget Footyology Final Siren live after the game on Friday night, live on Twitter and Facebook from 10.45pm. The game dissected and all your questions asked and answered and a bit of fun too. So uh, make sure you tune in if you haven't already. Good fun to be had post-Friday night football. Uh, Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.